This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, May 2, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. Tariffs are trade barriers by fiat. Trade facilitation, however, is a more tangible animal. How long does it take for goods to get through customs? How well do ports function? Dan Eikenson, Associate Director of the Center for Trade Policy Studies at the Cato Institute and author of a forthcoming paper on trade facilitation, argues that as artificial trade barriers fall, very real barriers to trade will take on increasing prominence. Draw out the distinction between people are very familiar with tariffs and the impact that tariffs have on trade. Not so much uh, do people understand trade facilitation. Tariffs are sort of the 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 legalistic obstacles to trade. Uh, they are the 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 barriers that you can expunge just by uh, with, with with signatures. Uh, trade trade policymakers can sit at a table and say, you know, let's reduce tariffs twenty percent or let's eliminate tariffs. That's only part of the problem. There's actually the physical movement of goods across borders, uh, and the physical movement entails. Uh, uh, ship shipping and clearance of customs, uh, rail and freight services, uh, corruption. Uh, so th- th- there, there are a lot of areas that need to be smoothed out. Uh, the analogy I like to use is, is, is like a hose. Cutting tariffs entirely is like turning the hose on full blast. But if the hose is all tangled up, you're, you're not going to get maximum water flow. So trade facilitation is like extending that hose and getting rid of the knots and the kinks. And as as listeners know, the the Doha round is off track, and it probably won't be uh, there. Probably won't be any meaningful progress there for quite a while. Uh, but in the meantime, countries are working on improving their processes. They're engaging in trade facilitation. They are figuring out ways to streamline customs procedures, to eliminate corruption, to uh, encourage more competition in freight services at the border to encourage the use of uh, telecommunications and, and electronic entries of customs procedures. Uh, many experts uh, at the World Bank and other places think that uh, there's much more to be gained uh, for trade through trade facilitation than, than through another round of, of tariff liberalization. Um, a very good example is, uh, is in the doing business report of the World Bank. They speak of a, a Yemeni fisherman uh, named uh, Tariq, who exports fish, tuna fish. If he exports it fresh to Germany, he gets something like five, uh, five dollars a kilo. If he exports it frozen to Pakistan, his other alternative, he gets something like a, like a dollar fifty a kilo. But because it takes about thirty days uh, for, for for products to clear uh, the export uh, ports. Uh, he can't sell much to Germany at all. So as a result, he loses millions of dollars a year because he has to devote his uh, his supply to frozen tuna fish uh, destined for Pakistan instead of fresh, where it can command a premium price uh, in, in, in Germany. This is uh, endemic throughout the developing world, but it's also problematic in the rich countries. The rich countries have a lot to gain from trade facilitation. Um, in the United States, we have the archaic Jones Act, which, uh, which pre- precludes foreign flagged ships from, from serving one port to the next in the United States. Whereas a foreign vessel can take product across the Atlantic or across the Pacific to a port, once it gets to that port, it has to go on a U.S. carrier, uh, either to be shipped or uh, through rail or, or, or trucking services. We also have a really outdated freight 
rail infrastructure. Um, there are only, I think, two operators uh, of, I think they're called class one operators, uh, in substantial portions of the Midwest, uh, because after the, there was deregulation of the of the industry, of the rail industry back in the sixties uh, and seventies, but the anti-monopoly uh, exemption was never revoked. So as a result, there's been a lot of consolidation in ownership, but the rates are are sky high, and I think that that helps to deter foreign investment in the Midwest. Uh, it makes it much more difficult for a Midwest farmer uh, to get his grains to an eastern port than it is from a European farmer to get his grains to an eastern port. It's cheaper, in some cases, to ship across the ocean than it is to ship two-thirds of the way across the United States. For developing countries, given the way capital flows relatively freely around the world, you would think that nations would already be actively engaged in. How do we do this? How do we make this happen? Some countries, uh, Mauritius in Africa has been very good about making thing, the process very smooth for their businesses to operate, but why haven't other countries been able to or tried to get on this bandwagon? Yeah, no, that's, that's a very good point. Some countries uh, are just plagued with endemic corruption. Uh, there are stakeholders who who benefit from the status quo, who are opposed to reform. Um, but interestingly, as you note, it is in the interest of these countries to, to, to engage in these reforms. But however, trade negotiators seem to have thought it was a good idea to include negotiations on trade facilitation within the Doha round. Uh, it's good in the sense that it, it draws attention to the benefits of trade facilitation, but there's a caveat here. There's something called aid for trade in, in the WTO's Doha round. The, the, the mandate to discuss trade facilitation also says, uh, whereas developing countries may undertake trade facilitation reforms and may have to do so, rich countries will need to pay for those reforms. So the, there's a problem here because it's so clearly in the interest of each developing country and every country to engage in trade facilitation. But when you all of a sudden assign a cost to it, it it's, you're, it's, you're mercantilizing the process here. You are, you are making it seem like a, a quid pro quo when it really shouldn't be. Is there a risk then that these governments in these developing countries will actually extract rents for their facilitation that they do that benefits them anyway? Yeah, I think that that is a problem. And I, I, some countries have been un undertaking reform regardless of the, the, the fact that there is aid for trade. Uh, other countries, I think, are sitting back and probably inflating their aid assessments uh, to say, well, we'll, you know, we'll do this, uh, but it's going to cost you know, X, X dollars, which is an exaggerated number. Uh, so I, I think it was a mistake to include trade facilitation and aid for trade in the, in the Doha round for that reason, because it is so clearly in the interest of countries to do things. And the other thing is, uh, it's not a one-size-fits-all proposition. Uh, some reforms in some countries uh, are, entail just a little bit of tweaking. Some require massive overhaul. And if you have some sort of a standard that says every country needs to to do X, Y, and Z, then you're going to be doing things that are unnecessary in some countries. You're going to be doing things that, uh, that aren't prioritized correctly in other countries. So this is a perfect example of where countries can engage in unilateral liberalization to get their houses in order. Not only are countries competing for markets with their exports, but they're competing for investment. And you're not going to attract investment if it's so darn hard to get uh, products in and out of the country.
Dan Eikenson is the Associate Director of the Center for Trade Policy Studies at the Cato Institute and author of a forthcoming paper on trade facilitation. You can read more of Cato's trade papers at freetrade.org.